Miss Macintosh, my darling, chapter 76, part 1. Poor Esther Longtree, who might be killed by little Johnny Jump Up by a flower in the grass. She had hidden in a mule's long, soft, silken ear like a purse or a cocoon, her pupa, her little tom-thumb. Would that she could hide herself under a small leaf of brown or green or gold or under the knotted alder roots in a dark pool. When alone here, past the empty hours, she got to thinking too much, brooding, brooding. It would seem that perhaps, after all, her past life had been different from what she had thought, that there had been mistakes of another kind, no miscarriages, successful conceptions, that these successful conceptions had been her worst mistakes, her most grievous, her unfulfilled abortions, her many births. That was why she reached her long nose among the flowering pawpaws. That was why she scratched her head. That was why she would wonder why she wanted to give birth to bring life into this sad, mistaken world. She guessed her faith was bigger than her common sense. It was some old instinctive drive in her, something bigger than she was, making her be this way, pregnant, swelling, waxing. Yet waning, too, she would feel, thin as a sickle, thin as a comma, sleeping in the womb of time. Why should she be disturbed in this last triumphant pregnancy, this waning, this diffused radiance? Oh, why, especially when she had done no harm to anyone, would harm no hair of anybody's head, had only spread the radiance of her happiness upon the dying fathers, the absent salesmen, the poles. She guessed that she had been a widow often, an old maid always, a wife never, so that was why she was puzzled now, knitting her eyebrows, thrusting out her chin, chewing her apron string, her head cocked to one side. She had made the dying fathers happy, but the Chicago detective, even though he should have been happy, was unhappy, and he always had been, for he had solved the mysteries of others, and that was something no one should do. It was his job, or he could not have done it. He had solved the quiet, quiet mysteries, always by wearing his disguises, sometimes with a handkerchief drawn over his mouth, sometimes disguised as a robber, even the graveyard robber. Wherever he went, he ran into murder, if it was just some ruined country place, some empty house with crumbling ledges. He would find a dead body or a fingernail or a footprint. He just could not help finding the incriminating evidence, even when he looked the other way. He was so quiet, quiet himself. He had even worn sometimes a different nose from his own, a different mouth, and different hands, and different feet. He was always playing his flashlight over dark windows, poking with a stick under autumn leaves where there would be a woman's body, staring into empty automobiles that were parked the side of the road, and then seeing the bloody salesman at the steering wheel. There were a great many men who only murdered strangers. There were others who only murdered friends. Women did not murder in the same way as men murdered. Women were inefficient nearly always, guessed Esther Longtree, and did not finish the job. After the baby was dead, it kept on crying, sometimes when it had not cried before. If a thief wanted to go home to his mother, he would enter by the front door of the strange dark house. If, they, if a thief wanted to go home to his father, he would climb a ladder to the second story and enter by the window, not even rustling the curtains. Nothing could ever seem to happen by itself in one cruel, conclusive way. There were always two ways of cruelty, guessed Esther Longtree, smiling, puzzled. She believed that there were some little boys who were murderers, too, and killed their mothers. But it was only because their mothers already killed them in quick ways and slow ways. No wonder the waxen detective, though burned down, was so busy. Always pursuing the murderer everywhere, always walking in the murderer's footprints, peering suddenly like dew upon the grass, and that was how he had happened to come upon Esther Longtree, staring like one dead at the sky. Her mother had killed her. If she had known that all his history, she would have been more afraid than she had been, for she had thought that he was only a rapist, not a detective, or that perhaps he was a thief, for what had she to steal? But he was a detective, tracking down criminals, solving all mysteries but his own, and it was because of his many murder cases that he had not yet returned to claim his children dead or living. Did she say claim? 
he only wanted to see them, not keep them. As long as some new murder broke, she would perhaps be safe and grateful. For how could she expect to escape the nuts of this brilliant detective who would be sure to trip her up? Sure to unearth old evidence of bloody handkerchief and autumn leaf, a bird's claw, a complete giveaway that things were not what they had seemed. He might find out something of the past or future. Anyway, she looked. She would be accused in her own eyes. For he had been so successful, coming around when the criminal thought he was free, then suddenly leaping upon him in the dark. Oh, how sorry she was. She was glad that she had kept her mouth shut, but she was sorry that she had written those letters to him, accusing him of being a father when he thought that he was safe. Accusing him of not being a father when it was his wife who wanted children. What right had he to get into her murderous domestic mystery? Even though he had solved so many, as many of the autumn leaves, the snowflakes, the winters. His pride in him boasted the cases closed and sealed. It was what he had written back to her that he would track her to her grave if she did not produce his living children. Yet how could she? How? How? Out of the empty air? Could it be a snowman melting? What would he settle for? Some other fellow's conception? Some other woman's pregnancy? But he was squeamish, she guessed, sighing, and her brain rattled like an empty pod when she thought of him, for she was very tired of all these sterile fathers, and a winter bee was best, zooming among the winter flowers, and when nature could do no wrong, but man could do it. So what did he want to boast to her of his old crimes for? There was no union between him and her. Him and her. She was not married to him. He was no little preacher, no little detective among the marsh butterflies, no one who concerned her, so why should he bother her with his old crimes solved and sealed and delivered to the jury? his old remorses, his old guilt and blood-stained fingers. She hated these depressing subjects. They made her stomach turn. They made her head swim. Old, dark, depressing crimes which no one would have cared to hear of and had been brought to burning daylight because of this detective she had got involved with. So it was too late for her to turn back, even if she had wanted to. Perhaps she could suffer no more deaths than one, so she ought not to worry for fear of having another child born still with its hands folded. Of course, just because her case was not important, he might solve it. For he wrote to her that he had a long list of the unimportant, unimportant cases solved and sealed by the hangman's noose or the electric chair or a guilty conscience. Some were of the long ago and some were modern, not like Cleopatra, and some were of the future and they were quiet, but he held the key, he quit. But he held the key to the quiet mysteries, all, almost all, the ones not noticed, the ones forgotten and the death of the doll, and the death of the woman, and the death of the child, whether it was born or not, if only it was conceived, even if only it was thought of. He had also smashed open the big cases. He had solved the death of the policeman who was killed by his wife, the death of the naked woman who was killed by her husband, the death of the, death of the soap salesman who was killed by the soap salesman. Wearing his disguises, he had crept in among the salesmen, the tramps, and the criminals, and the chorus girls, and he had always found that one of them had been killed. It would always seem a coincidence, because he could not even go on vacation out of his detective's office without detecting a criminal or an assault. Could not even go fishing. The evidence would stare him in the face. He would dream of the evidence, and then he would find it whichever way he looked, where it would be pointing the, the way to the criminal, the unsuspected, so she laughed into her apron until her face was purple and her dimpled chin quivered. She was not, however, accusing him, for that would be to let him with this pat she was not, however, accusing him, for that would be to let him win his impossible claims against her to resurrect his past. The way she gathered it, there were darker mysteries than she realized being confined in her confinement, rocking the empty cradle which was hers, feeding the groping bearded mouth and the customers. Whose mouth? Why? Why feed it? She could not answer the questions, rather could answer them in many ways. Her concerns were her concerns, 
expectancy of intrinsic birth weaving through her the death of somber guilt. She hoped a better life and escape from her parents, especially her mother, who had denied Esther Longtree. She'd have had no problems other than her own, as the Chicago detective wrote to her of darker mysteries than she realized. His sealed cases, his discoveries, murders, murders, old murders, unearthed, a barren orchard, ridged and humped, which was a port of missing salesmen. Murders, murders everywhere, the autumn leaves, Jesus, the angels, God in heaven, the stars, the murdered, the murderers. Old evidence staring, new evidence trampled grass, a port of missing children, a sunken ship of leaden sails, a stone hull and stone bells, headless women, headless men, headless children. James of quiet, quiet murders that no one would have noticed, but there would have been no one left to notice. Murders, murders, the death of the moth, the death of the bridegroom, the death of the bride, the death of the world. These quiet, quiet murders where no bodies were missed by no bodies where the murders like best to solve and detect. Building up his cases out of the empty air, even when there was no clue or evidence visible, no eye, no femur, no bone, no reason, no reason. And there were many of these that he had discovered and sometimes brought to the waning light of heaven and sometimes left undiscovered. The body's not missed by the bodies, the head's not missed by the heads, the tail's not missed by the tails. Those he liked best to discover. Those which were not recorded in the obituary notices or the newspaper headlines as the death of the moth, for they were silent. Still, in order to make a living and keep his name in the newspapers, he had to solve some of the loud mysteries, too, and was often hunting his man, the loud murderer who left the evidence and even signed his name. He held the clue to some of the loud mysteries, too, of course, the loud, noisy, and vulgar, and had baffled the fumbling police, for he would know of the solution before they knew of the crime, the murder and would find out the murderer by circling his footsteps, dropping the evidence, dressing like him in unmistakable clothing, and visiting his wife, or his sweetheart, or his friend. He would be there when the murderer came home, because Esther Longtree sullenly seemed to her that she would have to face the jury after all, and give birth. And looking for one murdered body, he would often find another, or many, sometimes those he did not wish to find. If he found the body of man or woman or child, it could still be called a simple case of murder under the sky, for the leaves fell in autumn just the same and the winds blew and people changed. Thus he had been as a detective astonishingly successful, never failing, and sometimes, as if he were the murderer, had evaded the police, for he was not interested in justice but only in finding the murderers, and he had found them everywhere, all but one, all but the bleeding rapist. There was one he could not find whom the police could not find. The bleeding rapist he was still looking for and had been looking for when he came here and found his handiwork, Esther Longtree, her clothes torn, her mouth foaming in her eyes, set cold as marbles. She had surprised him. It was all part of the day's work and the night's work, but he could not go walking in a lonely district, city, or country without finding that this murder had passed just before him. So he was always discovering the women murdered, the men murdered, or sometimes it was a little child, or sometimes it was not a woman, not a man, not a child. There might be no human body and no murderer. Even so, there might be murder, murder, murder. And more likely than not, the bodies he had not looked for, those he would stumble on in his evening walks. Sometimes when a murderer was found, he would confess that he had murdered others not found. They would sometimes be found by him, the detective, who would guess where they were hidden, even when there were no bodies. If the, murderer, if the murdered hanged for one crime, why should not hang for many? If his death warrant was sealed once, why should it not be sealed again? The detective not always bothered to tell what bodies he had found or what murder he was still was still at large. Some new crime would break, loud and noisy, and the quiet mysteries would remain quiet forever, if that was so. The quiet mysteries he did unravel, the shining webs as he walked to the murderer's footprints. Thus he could not investigate without finding the evidence wherever he went, and he had 
even found in looking for one body the trail where there was none 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 the sea the sky the evidence and blood upon the ground showing that some dreadful deed had happened to the innocent the quiet quiet mysteries like these he had solved them all or almost all by a turn of his hand his cold eyes gleaming had always found the evidence the murderer's eyeglasses dropped at the scene of the crime the proof the proof there were so many of these quiet mysteries a man turning in at a shadowed door a woman standing in the light empty street the rattle of leaves on the roof now why should anyone care for such a quiet mystery as the children unconceived and call it murder but he wanted to see his children the unconceived the stillborn all those little detectives icicles icicles sharp wind nothing for he had never touched her but yet as she understood his intentions he might make this most quiet mystery of hers the loudest crying everywhere crying at the frozen poles for all she knew and so his threats were like a dream accompanying her pregnancy a shadow in the light a dream of death in her condition she could not bear it for which reason she thought of ways of deceiving him further as if he were the dying man she thought of all ways but what was right for having described the children as his it should have been easy to put the children on a train and ask him to meet them at the station but then what for would that be right and what would happen to the children Nothing she could think of was right, perhaps because of her uncertainty, she being just as the old doctor had said, the immortal case growing to the star, the clouded crystal in a dark sky. She should never have said that the children lived. There should have been no doubtful explanation as to what had happened or had not happened. How could she even tell? Her mind wandered so among the frozen conceptions, unrealizations, lost hopes, but she was hopeful. She had already confided to each salesman how her mind wandered among the salesmen of the past, how each had reminded her of another and of others. How she was raped not by him, but by the cold hand of memory.